0: Welcome to the Myth-Busting Lung Cancer Screening Podcast Series, hosted by Dr. Debbie Dyer. This podcast is brought to you by the American College of Radiology and the National Lung Cancer Roundtable.
1: Hello and welcome to the Myth-Busting Lung Cancer Screening Podcast Series for Lung Cancer Awareness Month. My name is Debbie Dyer and I'm a thoracic radiologist with National Jewish Health in Denver, Colorado. This November, I'm going to be speaking to a variety of guests about the myths surrounding lung cancer screening, and my guests will include primary care doctors, pulmonologists, and patients themselves. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Mike Gieske. Mike has been a primary care physician at St. Elizabeth Medical Center in Edgewood, Kentucky since 1987. In addition to his daily practice, Mike is the lead physician at his site in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, and serves as East Division Physician Director of Primary Care. In 2016, Mike took part in growing the low dose CT lung cancer screening program at St. Elizabeth's and was named Director of Lung Cancer Screening in 2019. So, Mike, it's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Thank you, Deborah.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it's, uh, it's just fun to be able to reach out to you and get your thoughts on a number of questions that come up and can be challenges for folks in practice, particularly primary care. And so the first question I'd like to ask you is, how do you start the conversation about lung cancer screening with patients and engage them in shared decision-making?
0: Well, first of all it's important to determine whether or not they meet the criteria obviously and and we have a number of mechanisms through our electronic medical record that makes that possible for example we have a health maintenance prompt that if the patient meets the criteria and they haven't had the test done within the last year it'll prompt the medical assistant and or the provider to discuss this with the patient and then The provider actually has a what's called a BPA or best practice advisory that pops up and and triggers for the provider themselves if the patient qualifies for the test and has not had it within the last year. So once that happens, then, of course, we enter into the relationship with the patient where we start to talk about shared decision-making. And I I think with respect to shared decision-making, it's really important to Talk a little bit about the history of how this shared decision-making component came into play, if I might. In you know August of 2011, the NLST was published in New England Journal of Medicine, and it was very compelling, of course, showing the reduction in lung cancer mortality through lung cancer screening through low dose CT. And then the USPSTF, which is the United States Preventive Services Task Force, reviewed this information and. Made a draft recommendation in June of 2013 to be followed shortly thereafter by their final recommendations in December of 2013. They gave it a B rating, which is the same rating as mammography. Now Medicare was a little slower to come along. the The MedCac, their advisory board, reviewed this in April of 2014, and then subsequently gave full approval for lung cancer screening in february 2015 but there was a little trepidation because their advisory board actually did not give it a a full tilt vote of approval yeah they were a little ambivalent and then also the american academy of family practice about that same time in 2013 reviewed this and felt like there was insufficient evidence and to date we still have an i rating for insufficient from the american academy of family practice which is of course one of my governing bodies we have this background of trepidation and consternation and so i think cms took that into account and when they approved this test they really for the first time ever for any test that we order any screening test they implemented this mandate that we have to do this screening and shared decision making for patients qualified for lung cancer. And there's a number of components that are involved in that, which we can go into. But, you know, that's just a little bit of the background. They, they created this, some consider it a barrier, or impediment. You know, we, we do share decision-making in our practice every day, you know, with every test we order, whether it be lab work or imaging or, you know, plans. And we discuss it with a patient and we involve them in the care. But this is one test that it's truly mandated. We have to document it in the record.
1: You mentioned that some people perceive the shared decision-making as a barrier. And obviously, I think with all that you've accomplished, you've gotten over that barrier. How did you do that? How do you think we can encourage others to embrace the shared decision-making and not perceive it as a barrier?
0: Well, I think first we have to accept that it is a mandate, you know, like it or not. (laughs) And... I think we have to educate our providers and, and really our our medical staff and medical assistants as well because it's an imperative part of doing the test and we can't get around it. Now that may change eventually. I mean, I I embrace shared decision making as I said. I, I really do it for a lot of the tests that I order, you know, whether it be lab tests or imaging or you know any type of you know care plan. But you know, we really are, are bound to do this now. What I do is when I talk with, you know, the staff, or when I talk with providers, I tell them that, you know, the shared decision is mandated. It has to be done on the initial baseline scan. It has to be one or more decision aids that you use. And we have a number of decision aids, which make it easy. We have posters hanging in a room. We have smart phrases that we use that we can put in the after visit summary. We have a number of resources that are available through you know the acr there's a number of different things that we can use and we utilize all those to make this as easy as possible you have to talk about of course false positive rates. you have to talk about total radiation exposure you have to counsel the patient that this is an annual test it's important that they adhere to this they have to have the test every year until either they're 77 years of age if you use cms criteria or it's been 15 years since they've smoked. And then the other thing that's important is you have to counsel them about smoking cessation if they're present smokers, or you have to encourage them to remain abstinent if they are a past smoker. And when we do all this, our electronic medical record, we use Epic, they have a smart set that you, you go through this, you click all the boxes, and then we get a customized entry in our progress note that says that you addressed all these things, you, you discussed the, the proper things that are mandated through the shared decision-making through CMS, and it's put in your progress notes. So it's it's pretty seamless. It's a what I consider a, a, a low-barrier obstacle.
1: Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> and have you actually had success in talking some folks into doing lung cancer screening where previously... I don't mean the patients, but I mean the providers where maybe they were previously reluctant to start the conversation with patients just because they worried that it might just take too much time or involve too much info.
0: I have had a lot of success. You know, there have been some barriers and obstacles and some folks that are a little more obstinate about it. But you know, as part of the success that we've demonstrated through our program, I think or providers have really began to understand that there's a, a great degree of value in lung cancer screening. And we've demonstrated shift migration. You know, we've really done a tremendous amount of scans. And as we've, you know, if, as we've amassed this experience, the, the buy-in has, has began to increase. And one of the things that we really kind of advocate, too, I think that has helped you know, again, you know, it's one of the only tests that we have to do shared decision-making for, but it's one of the only tests, if not the only test that when we do that work, we can get paid for it. You know, if you build a G0296, you know, we have our providers uh, use that code. We have a reimbursement that averages about 60 bucks and and the providers get 0.52 work RVUs for doing that work. So we really push that and, and, and use that to try to sell you know, the work that they do and, and try to overcome that barrier. And and that's really come a long way. They get their productivity report at the end of the month and they, they look at it. They see that they've, you know, done so many of these and they build the G0296 and they've been compensated for it.
1: Wow, that's terrific. So they really do get positive feedback. Hopefully, you know, it, it's not always in the form of finding a lung cancer, but they're getting the positive feedback that they're they're really doing the right thing for their patients and uh, they're also getting reimbursed. Well, that's that's really great news. Do you have a sense for, just for an average patient, how long does it take to have the shared decision-making conversation? I'm sure it varies.
0: Yeah, and it does. And that's a great question. And actually I've timed it, you know, how long it takes me to do it. And I can very easily do it in three minutes or less. And that's talking at a normal rate of speed. I I tend to talk a little fast sometimes, but, (laughs) you know, hitting all the bullet points and and really going into some level of detail. Now you could do it in a shorter interval than that, or you could spend, you know, 15 to 30 minutes doing a whole lecture on lung cancer screening if you choose to do so. But, but I mean, really to, to hit the, the high notes and, and hit the bullet points, you can easily do it in less than three minutes.
1: Well, that's encouraging. Any other sort of thoughts on just the shared decision-making process, and how we can dispel any myths that it's just too burdensome or it's just too complicated?
0: Well, I think that we have to, you know, accept that it's part of ordering this test, and and I think we have to look upon it as an an opportunity to really to teach our patients about lung cancer and lung cancer screening and detection. And, you know, I use kind of a tough love approach of sorts. You know, when I talk with my patients about it, you know, I see they qualify for it. I talk about the risks and the benefits. And then I kind of go into a a type of conversation where I really want to impress upon them, you know, how profound the impact of lung cancer is on, on, you know, patients. And, you know, I tell them that you know, the five-year survival rate for lung cancer is not good. It's 21.7% five-year survival rate. You know, Kentucky, it's worse than that. It's 17.6% five-year survival rate. I tell them, and in this one, every time I read this or hear this, it it really hits me in the gut, you know, more than 50% of the patients that are diagnosed with lung cancer are dead in a year. And it's because lung cancer is such a aggressive, mean, fast-moving cancer, and we find it too late. You know, we find it either incidentally or when patients present with symptoms. And I tell them, you know, to create some hope that, you know, now we have a method, a mechanism for detecting cancer early. You know, we have a a low dose CT lung cancer screen that if we catch cancer in the early stages, we have a greater than 90% cure rate. You know, most of the patients that we found through our screening program, almost 60% are found in stage one. And those patients can be cured and easily with surgery or SBRT.
1: Well, that is, those are really encouraging words. And I can imagine that patients would respond well to that. And I I thank you so much for being such a champion of lung cancer screening. And obviously, I think that you've had an impact not only on patients, but the providers that you work with. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time today.
0: It's been very rewarding. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the American College of Radiology and the National Lung Cancer Roundtable.